You're listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. Here are your hosts, Fran Chismar and Tom Knezic. Finally, welcome back to The Buzz, brought to you by the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. I am Fran Chismar. And I'm Tom Knezic. And Fran, I actually thought you were going to have a different name and look today <laughs> since your identity was just stolen. <laughs> Not to get too too far in the weeds yeah. before we bring all the, like, the hard-hitting plant news but, and, and listen, that. But. I, I sympathize for anyone that's gone through it. <clears throat> and uh, if you've never gone through it, you know what? It's, take the precautions to... Uh, to protect yourself, it, it it actually started when I was out with my nose surgery, and I thought I was uh, had everything under control. But no, they 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 took it to a new level. <laughs> so fortunately, I think uh, no damage was done. But uh, wow, they, yeah, they don't give Not up. Fun. No, I, I had like a, a my debit card number was stolen once, and that caused a whole bunch of issues. But that was primarily because I had just moved back from upstate New York back to New Jersey, and my bank, the closest branch, was like. Two and a half hours oh. away or three hours away. So I had to drive all the way back up there just to figure all this stuff out. I couldn't do it over the phone. Yeah, well, no, none none of this was fun. Like, yeah. <laughs> like yeah, none of this fun. was, you know, it was. But, but they this have, is going to be fun. I hope so. And uh, and we have some little follow-up stuff. And you have on here a pollinator mix from Lowe's, and I don't know what that means. Oh, so, well, first, we're, I guess we're episode 101. Did you say 101. that? 101. Did I say, did I even say my name? I, I don't know. I'm Tom Knezic. <laughs> <laughs> okay, back to the pollinator mix. Uh, you know, one of our uh, our propagator was in Lowe's and mm-hmm. and picked up. It was like a I don't know what size, like a half pound bag, possibly mm-hmm. pollinator mix. And he didn't buy it, but he was he was like, oh, look at this, what they're carrying. And then he looked on the back, and none of there was only one native plant. Oh yeah, on yeah, the in, on the entire mix. And I thought that was very deceiving. Um, yeah, it's he, um. And my brother was just in Lowe's, too, and I'm trying to pull up the picture because he sent us a picture of the mix that he found there. And, like, there's 15 species in it, and it's, like, uh, some – and there's stuff that's, like, blatantly – it's, like, Chinese this and, and Japanese that. And then it was uh, black-eyed Susans and landsleaf tick seed, only native plants in the entire mix. It's They tend to be really annual-heavy. They really aren't good for pollinators. They just they make you think they're good for pollinators because you can see all these bright flowers. Yes. So yes, and that's yeah. why people love things like butterfly bush. Yep. Oh yeah, because yeah. you see the the butterflies on them, but it's mm-hmm. not really contributing to the food web. So I just keep that in mind. Yeah. Um, and I'm not bashing the box stores. It's just yeah. they're trying to find it a need to yeah. make and everyone happy. Yeah, and, and it's, the, it's not even necessarily the box store bringing it in. It's, it's whoever manufactures it has a contract with Lowe's or Home Depot, and this is how they're fulfilling the contract. They know pollinators a buzzword, wildflowers a buzzword. Man, we can sell a lot more stuff if we just slap it on there, and, uh, and that's what they do, and they don't really know if it's actually good for pollinators. And it always comes back, oh, it really helps honeybees, but that's not always who we need to be be helping. Our, yeah. our main target, especially when you're thinking about native plants, is our native bees and our native pollinators. Yeah. So, And that's kind of not really a good segue, but I'm going to say, I am going to segue into, um, we we didn't want to make episode 100 a big 
uh, hubbub about us. Yes. Uh, so we're going to do that now on episode 101. <laughs> no, not <laughs> now really. Now it's appropriate. It was just um, we wanted to give a thank you, and uh, and we're going to go a little bit more into that later, um, some of the highlights that we feel like we've had through 100, uh, now 101 episodes. So uh, with that, friend, why don't we get into the plants we're vibing with this week? Get ready to hit that button because it's time for That's Hot. I'm happy to see that I actually had it prepped and ready to go. I am for too a because I saw you start to scribble something <laughs> down and do something else. I, I, you know what? For some reason, <laughs> there's just a lot going on. Oh, we're, we're at that time of the year. Yeah. And I froze for a second because I felt as if I wasn't prepared. Like I just had like one of those like dreams that you have like you're it's your senior year of high school mm-hmm. and you realize you haven't done your homework like i was like oh my god did i pick a that's that's hot yeah. like, apparently i did you did and you want to present that one sure sure so my uh that's hot for this week is carolina silver bell which is halesia carolina tom are you familiar with this one i'm not no i'm not sure your parents may have one in their yard but i'm not mm. positive so it's a uh, native from new york to florida I think some of that might be introduced. I, I have a feeling it's more of a southern range. So um, it goes west to Oklahoma and then north to Michigan. Uh, clustered white bell-shaped flowers adorn this small native tree in late April to early May. It's just getting ready, ready to bloom here. Uh, bef- and it blooms before the leaves come out. Flowers are followed by green four-winged fruit, uh, and leaves turn yellow in autumn. And uh, it can be single or multi-trunked uh, with low ascending branches. A uh, very attractive flowering tree, especially against an evergreen backdrop. Uh, grows 30 to 40 feet high with a 20 to 35 foot spread. And if you were to drive down the road here to the elementary school, mm-hmm. uh, they have one right on the corner of the Okay, of the school. Yeah. Yep, yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, that's a really unique looking tree that I wasn't familiar with. So that's yeah. one I'm going to have to look up. Yeah. So but, you know, pick. it's an early, early spring that I kind of like that it's a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Um, not, not your typical thing. And, you know, like there was such a fad so long ago with all these crab apples, yeah, like ornamental oh, yeah. crab apples. Like I don't <laughs> see why you wouldn't want something like this over yeah, that. But. Yeah. So and uh, and mine's another unique and interesting plant that I didn't really know a lot about, and I, I guess I still don't know a lot about. Um, and we're going back to Shrek's house in the bog for this one because I'm <laughs> choosing. I don't even know how to say that word. Camadaphne. Camadaphne. Calculata. Yeah. Caliculata. Caliculata. See, Fran's my pronunciation <laughs> expert, which is uh, the common name is leatherleaf. And I found this on Jersey Friendly Yards. So leatherleaf is a broadleaf evergreen shrub native to wet soils. It has leathery green leaves and small bell-shaped white flowers, which bloom in April and May. Uh, this shrub is used by birds and other wildlife for nesting and cover. It grows well in boggy locations. Use leatherleaf in moist borders, woodland gardens, rain gardens, or along edges of ponds or other water features. And I really, I guess I'd heard of this plant, but I didn't really know about it. And then I was uh, taking a walk with my son around mm-hmm. a, a cr- old cranberry bog and um, tons of blueberries that were blooming. And then I looked down and say, well, that kind of looks like a blueberry flower, but it's right on the ground and it's got leaves. And all these other high bush blueberry don't have leaves. So it's definitely not a, just a little blueberry. So I took a picture of an iNaturalist and came up as leather leaf. I'm like, that's a really cool plant. So I... I'm interested to learn more about it. I just saw my my mom has like this little bog garden. She's like this, I guess it's like a copper kettle, an old kettle type thing okay. sitting out in front of her house. And she has some like pitcher plants and uh, and there's a leather, a leather leaf in there. I'm thinking she put it in there. Maybe she didn't and just kind of popped really? up. Really? So she has one you never knew. Yeah, I never knew. I walked by it two days ago. I was putting their dog back in the I, house I, and I'm like, huh, that's 
I just saw one of those in the Pine Barrens the other day. So. I'm, I'm curious as to where she got it from now. Yeah, I, I have no idea. All right. At some point, so, I'm going to peek my head out and yep, see if yep. I can get an answer. So, awesome. That Two great choices. I think uh, I like that we we both picked something not as usual. Yeah. Well, uh, two, what's it? two winters ago, we were complaining so much about how we had nothing to pick. When we started this segment, yeah. we went into a time of year where there was like really nothing is showing off. So yeah. it's, you had to get think outside the box and – um, now I can't remember what we picked, but I'm assuming all the, the ones that I'm familiar with, we probably have gone through already. Yeah. So. I, you know, as I walk around locally, a lot of the things that we typically pick, I, we've yeah. either picked it one season or another. Yeah. Um, and it's okay to do multiple seasons, yep. Yep. but I, yep. you know, I feel like we've done a lot of episodes now. <laughs> Spice Bush is one that's, that's really yeah. just, it's starting to go into leaf now and the flowers are starting to fade. At least the ones in the sun I see them. But, um, but I, was looking through the understory of some woods the other day and there was just like a cloud of spice bush in this one spot and I was we're driving along and I'm go to my wife and say, Look, look, it's spice, yeah. <laughs> it's spice bush, look at that. And um and she cared a, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> nice, but, nice. But two great choices. Yeah, two great oh, yeah. choices. All right, you ready for the next Yeah. So we're gonna move into this week's botany based current events. Of course we make it a competition. This is this or that. So the the last buzz episode ninety nine the articles that we presented was um, I had our natives better and you had sheep gardens and there yeah. is a winner and the winner is surprise surprise it's Tom twenty one yeah. to have you even 12? won in twenty twenty two no uh. no there was a tie. That you won the tiebreaker, oh, and then someone voted for me afterwards. Sword fight, which, yes. that's right. Yeah. Um, I have not won since December that's good. Um, of 2021. Yeah. My yeah. undefeated streak will hopefully yeah. be prolonged after this, this round. All right, so yeah. I do have an idea because okay. I was looking at it, and I'm not crying sour grapes. Okay. But looking at the voting on Facebook, my idea was for one episode um, because I think – People are reading the articles mm-hmm. and voting, but if you don't hear they my – They don't listen to the presentation, yeah. Then I, I feel there's no way I would ever win with an article that I chose mm-hmm. that way. Yep. And I don't want those articles to not be chosen in the future. And I think there's some people that vote. There was one person I'm like, there's no way they read the article or listened. They saw your name and voted for yeah. you. <laughs> who, who was that? I'm not going to say. I'm not going to say online. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah, I have no clue who you're talking about. <laughs> but um, uh, so my thought is, what if for this one episode, we give a password or a keyword that after you vote, you have to comment this word so that we know that you listened not that we'll discount other votes i'm just looking to see like how many people listened mm-hmm. and voted yeah and followed directions yeah yeah yeah. as opposed to people that didn't listen mm-hmm. so i was thinking like the keyword vote when you go to the facebook on this upcoming one and you vote just comment the word vote yeah and oh pe- well, yeah because and then people that that didn't listen. But what if you know. get people saying, "All oh, these people are commenting, commenting, vote." It's kind of like when, when you're in a room, like you're you're yeah. at your your yeah. your nephew's band recital. You're like, "Well, that wasn't really that great," but everyone's <laughs> clapping around you, and you start clapping. <laughs> How do you know that's not going to happen? Well, I don't see someone just typing that in out of the blue, but they may ask, yeah. and then if they ask, we could say, 
if you listen to the podcast, you'll yeah. understand. I think that the word should be um, Cama Daphne. <laughs> no, I'm, just, I'm just Yeah, I think something like that would, would be would Just be for one episode, just to see yeah. what the results are, like, with that and without that. Mm-hmm. Just curious. Just an experiment. Yep. Not yep. not saying I would have won regardless, just saying I'm curious. I don't think you would have won I don't think way, I would have won either uh, way either. And my 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 threats are just empty threats. I'm not, I don't have another bad article this week. <laughs> so, uh, well, I, I don't so know you about get that. To, my I chose a bad article. I'll, so well, and you I'll, get to choose, and I'll go first because okay. I took Fran's approach. Um, I actually you tried to give it to me. I but actually I'd already sent an this article to Fran and uh, said, "Hey, if you want to keep the streak of choosing anti-native plant art- <laughs> articles, use this one." And uh, I was expecting Fran to choose it, and I had a completely different article picked out. I love this the, the article I had, yeah. and that's the only reason why I didn't. So when I saw Fran and picked the article he did, I'm like, well, I really had strong opinions about the article I sent Fran, so I'm just going to do that one. I'll All save right. this other article for another time. All right, awesome. And my article was titled, uh, No Mum Month is the, or excuse me, I'm going to repeat that. <laughs> the No Mum Month, the No Good, Terrible, Long Care Advice from the Xerxes Society, and it was by Susan Harris. So, Fran, this whole this whole vote thing is going to be playing my favor now because uh, I'm choosing an article that if you read, you're not going to agree with. Um, oh, that's, that's or many true. people won't. But All so right. this is a good thing. Okay. So, and uh, her article starts off with an editorial that she wrote or a letter to the editor that she wrote, um, and has some stuff from Facebook. It's relatively short, so I'm actually going to cover a lot of it, but okay. uh, we'll post it on Facebook for you guys to read as well. Um, and it starts off and says, this year, the city of Greenbelt's No Mow April campaign encourages residents to avoid mowing this month in order to encourage flowering for bees. I'm pro bee too, but according to experts in lawn care, this practice could seriously damage healthy lawns. Uh, University of Maryland's advice is typical, uh, typical and implicitly warns against waiting a whole month of strong growth to mow again. Infrequent mowing allows the turf to grow too tall. Subsequent mowing removes too much leaf surface and may shock the plants. Weekly mowing may not, may not be enough especially during the peak period of leaf growth in the spring. Remove no more than one-third of the grass blade each time you mow. Removing larger amounts of leaf surface may result in physiological shock to the, uh, to the plant, causing excessive graying or browning of the leaf tips, and greatly curtail photosynthesis, re- reducing the health of the grass. One expert I consulted about the no-mow idea echoed that concern and added that in urban situations, many, if not most, of the blooming turf weeds aren't native and tend to be easily spread, many by wind. Encouraging pollination can exacerbate the situation, leading to more weeds and perhaps encouraging the homeowner to resort to chemical control. And many of these non-native turf-invading plants can be kept in check by regular mowing. Uh, That was her letter. Okay. And then starts her article and says, I'm sure the campaign makes sense uh, to many of my neighbors because they don't keep up with lawn care advice like I do, and why should they? But others cited problems on the city's Facebook account. Uh, Some of the comments were, what are you thinking? Where did you get this harebrained idea from – and redacted another known lefty town nearby. <laughs> Unredacted. Um, you have all those early blooming pear trees, crocus, daffodils, and the list goes on, as if those are going to help your pollinators. Um, and then the next comment said, people relying on landscaping jobs have to work. Uh, comment after that said, you already have ticks way out of control. Another comment, the city will look awful if people don't mow their lawns. Uh, one more comment, just... I'm mowing mine. <laughs> and then the last <laughs> comment she included says, I'm sorry, what part of tall grass promotes ticks is being ignored here? So there are some valid concerns there um, that were posted on that Facebook post. But going back to, to Susan's article, so where did my town come up with a harebrained indeed idea of no mow April? Definitely not from the faculty at the University of Maryland, about five miles down the road from us. 
uh, which she quoted in the letter, No Mo campaign is originated in the UK as No Mo May and then appeared in Wisconsin, again targeting May. Now it's being promoted by BC to USA, who we had right here on our program. Um, uh, so that's an infect, insect advocacy group of the Xerxes Society, where towns pay the Xerxes Society to get bragging rights as B-City, uh, with a fee based on population. Um, my go-to rant on this blog focus, uh, my go-to rant on this blog focus has always been on the egregious overgeneralization and messaging about gardening and what gardeners can do uh, or should be doing to help the environment in some way. I call the Leave the Leaves campaign by the National Wildlife Federation and others no good and terrible because not all the plants are the same. Some can be killed by leaf coverage all winter, and the leaves of some trees won't compost for years, meanwhile suffocating the plants they're lying on. Uh, then there's the anti-lawn messaging that's become so unpopular, usually including the total na- national acreage and angrily claiming that lawns demand high input of pesticides, fertilizers, and water. Oh, they sure can. Conventional golf courses come to mind. But that doesn't describe the lawn care practice of anyone I know. My friends have lawns like the ones I, I used to have that survive with no inputs at all and no labor except mowing. Uh, I'll point out there, I didn't like that comparison where she was talking about her friends. Because she's a, a garden yeah. writer. Yeah. A lot of her friends are probably gardeners. And there's a lot of other people who do rely on a lot of fertilizing pesticides to, to, yeah. and chemical herbicides to keep their lawns looking nice. Or hire people to do it. So it's. I think that was an overgeneralization there I, I on agree. that part. I agree. Um, and she continues, having gotten rid of my lawn myself, I found replacing lawns to be extremely challenging, and the just plant natives message from the anti-lawn zealots is misleading and ultimately timely, and money wasting to so many homeowners eager, eager to do the right thing. And with a no-mo month push, we see yet another campaign by a wildlife advocacy group that completely ignores potential harm to the garden plants we're subjecting those practices to. Makes you wonder if wildlife ag- advocacy groups, I can't say advocacy, uh, are simply opposed to gardening. Sometimes it sure seems like it. Uh, whether your lawn even has flowers that will appear in April. Um, here's some of the things she brought up that were to be considered. Does your lawn even have flowers that will appear in April? Uh, whether such flowers, if they're allowed to be encouraged or to be pollinated, are flowers you want more of. The risk of damaging any thick, healthy, and weed-free lawn by waiting a whole fast-growing month to mow it. And what mower could do uh, could do a good at that anyway. I don't know what that means. Um, so that was her article, the, the gist yeah. of it. And but there's nothing I, that, yeah. that promote. Like, listen, we we've talked about so many factors. Like, what about all the spillage, uh, oil and oh, gas yeah. spillage? Yeah, and, I think it's and, it's kind of a generalization the other way, saying, oh, well, this is a bad thing, and it's. I'll get to my exact feelings on Nomo May. I, yeah. I went and looked up, where, okay, this Nomo April idea that BCDOSA is pushing. Where did this come from? Because they're, they're obviously doing, they aren't, Zerk Society isn't doing something just because it's a fad or it's trendy yeah. or it's not helpful. They're doing it because there's science-backed research saying that it's beneficial in some way. Um, so I went to their website about Nomo April, and it had a little history and said, in 2020, residents of Appleton, Wisconsin, an affiliate of B-City USA, became energized about Nomo May, and the city council agreed to suspend their weed ordinance for the month of May. Over 435 registered property owners participated in the campaign, and Lawrence University, affiliate of B-Campus USA, partnered with Appleton to conduct research on the impact of Nomo May on pollinators. Researchers uh, Israel Del Toro and Rolina Ribbons collected data on the abundance um, which was the number of individuals and species richness, the number of species of flowers and bees found in unknown yards of a subset of the properties participating in Nomo May. They then compared those numbers to the abundance and richness of flowers and bees found in nearby urban parks that are regularly mowed. 
The findings were impressive. Not only were the abundance and richness of bees higher in the yards of the properties participating in Nomo May, but they were way higher. Um, participating yards had three times higher bee species richness and uh, five times higher bee abundance than nearby parks that had been mowed. This study was published in 2020 and is available for free. Uh, you can download it if you look up this um, the, the Nomo April or Nomo May on the Xerxes site. And uh, empowered by their success in 2020, Appleton has spread the word and attracted even more participants in 2021. And I guess it's even spreading for 2022. Now, I didn't like this article at all um, because, like I said, I think it's kind of no, it's, it's kind of just saying it, it, it's it, trying to have your cake and eat it. You can't be. It's very difficult to be an ecological gardener and then uh, an English style gardener at the same time. That's just, it's really, really difficult to do that. There's, you have to give and take a little bit on either side. If you want to have a really formal looking garden using native plants, you're probably going to want to look at some cultivars. You're going to use some non-native plants. You're going to use traditional methods. You're probably going to have to do some mulching. You're not going to be able to have something that's, uh, well, I guess the chic thing would make it go be wild, but you're going to have to have that really pristine and beautiful garden. It takes a lot of maintenance, a lot of things that a lot of people don't want to do. Um, on the other side, if you want that ecological garden, you're going to have to sacrifice some of the, the aesthetic of it. It's just how it works. Now, in my mind, I think it's more aesthetically pleasing to have that like meadowish, wildish I, garden. I, um, I, and I, I think more and more people are coming along to that. Now, where I kind of agree with the author is I don't really – I don't like the concept of no mo April or no mo May, and uh, and I did a little bit of it last year. I didn't do my whole lawn, but I did some little pockets um, here and there, really, because I'm looking at okay, well, what's going to come up? And it's a lot of dandelions, which are a, a non-native plant, and um, and we've had Sam Drogi on here say, well, yeah, they're beneficial to, to pollinators, but it's because they don't have anything else to go to. And um, I so I went and I haven't mowed anything yet this year, anyway. So I used iNaturalist and identified some stuff, and you had some uh, some purple dead nettle, and um, I'm trying to remember there was another one that came up. You had plenty of dandelions. You had a little blue flower that was also a, a European or uh, North Asian, or excuse me, um, Central Asian species. I didn't have any native flowers that came up there. Now, I think why it works in Great Britain and the U.K. is you have European grasses that, that I'm assuming at one point used to be part of their mayo, me, uh, meadows where they would co-mingle yeah. with the European forbs. So now here in the U.S., you have a European species of turf, turf grass, or your turf grasses are non-native species, and you're, they're not going to mix with a lot of your native species. It just doesn't work that way. So I think we're promoting something that, I guess to really boil it down, I think it makes people feel good and feels like they're making a really big impact, yeah. but... It's kind of a little bit off target. How yeah. much more impact could you have? If you had a, a, okay, you have a 40 by 40 yard. I don't know what the actual science on this would be, but is a 10 by 10 like pollinator garden with, you have one one blooming shrub and you have a bunch of different forbs in there and, and some grasses. Like if you took a little snippet of Benjamin Vogue's front yard or, um, or Joan Brandwine's yard, yeah. you took a 10 by 10 section of their yard. How does that stack up to not mowing your grass for a month? I just feel the benefits no, of having it, that little section or 
majorly outweigh leaving your lawn to something that the pollinators are going to use, but they don't really want. Uh, They prefer to have the native species. I agree. But if you can, if you can eliminate all the pollution from it for a month, Mm. it's still better than, than nothing. Like I'm like, I'll take that over. You know, I'm just trying to find some benefit. Now, now, now don't get me wrong. I'm I'm not a fan of this article at all. Mm. And because it's, it's, Bluntly, it's an opinion piece. Oh, yeah. It's, it's yeah. an opinion piece. And I don't think it was meant to be a scientific yeah. piece. I no. think it's definitely meant to be an opinion piece. there's no science. It's not scientifically based. It's her opinion. And just because you may be qualified to be a garden writer doesn't make you qualified to be an ecologist. Mm-hmm. But I saw a great quote just last week, and it made me think of this. And it says, if you disagree with science, you're not having a disagreement. You're <laughs> just wrong. Yeah. yeah. Which is – which is very, very true. But, and a big portion of that quote is that science is constantly changing. Changing, yes. And you're constantly learning more. And we've, I think we've even brought this up before. There's that book by Adam Grant called Think Again. And it's basically saying you kind of want to find out you're wrong because now you're smarter because of it. If you've had two choices and you found one of them's wrong, well, now you know that the right choice is somewhere over here. It's yes. on the other side. You can rule out 50% of what you were, you were dealing with before. So that's where science is, is really important. But, yeah, I, I – I guess I don't really get behind the home, and I'm gonna I'm doing it again. I, like I said, I haven't mowed anything yet. I'm gonna do it this weekend, and but I leave little patches, really, just see what comes up and see is there anything cool and worthwhile here. And um, and my goal last year, I just ran out of time, was to make a video and kind of say, hey, I have dandelions, I have I have purple dead nettle, I have this other species I can't remember now. Are they helping? Yeah, but I think if you had some red maples and some other things like or the red buds are blooming. If I had those, which I do have those, but you have those, that's going to be way more beneficial than these are. And, yeah, did I notice a lot more insect and bee activity in the places that had these uh, these lawn weeds, per se, versus where I just had turf grass? Of course I did because they had something there versus absolutely nothing. It's like if you had, if you had an event and three people attended one and, and no nobody attended the other one, okay, well, or one person attended. Oh, I had 300% more... <laughs> People there, you still only had three people. Yeah, it's. Um, I think yeah. If if you just took that little, instead of not mowing, keep the turf grass where you actually need it because it is important. Yeah. If you have kids or you have places where you want to be outside and you want to walk, you can't do that on native plants. But I think it's much more imp- impactful to create more like native meadow or native gardens and reduce how much turf grass you have than just not mowing it. Yeah. I I mean, I feel really fortunate and I never realized it until I moved to where I live now and the the back end of my property is natural. It it butts up to a natural area. It's not a huge natural area. It's a, it's a stream with a buffer on both sides. But it's thick enough and healthy enough that the sound of the birds and and everyone's backyards are natural enough mm-hmm. that the sound of the birds in the spring right now are deafening. Like yeah. You can't sleep oh, yeah. past 4:30. Like you just can't mm-hmm. because the birds are that happy yep. and that in abundance. And I don't think you're getting that without that type of environment. Mm-hmm. you know. And obviously there has to be enough food there for them to eat yeah. and feed their youngs and, and things yeah. like that. So. Now, I'll also say that like my opinion on this isn't based out of my own research. It's based out of conversations, many of which we had right here on our podcast, um, that kind of lead me to my conclusion on it. I, I would hate to see someone – do this and really say, um, you know what, I'm going all into no mow April. And then they get back out there and they're mowing in May and June and July. 
and thinking they're making a huge difference only to find out later, oh, I only helped a little bit. Yeah. And what I really should have been doing was this and then getting turned off from the whole message. Yeah. I, I've i mentioned it a bunch of times. We want to be really clear and direct with our messaging um, with the with the gas-powered lawn equipment. I'd say, don't. yeah, it, is it detrimental in some cases? Of course it is, but yeah. don't let it distract from the message of, of native plants. Yeah, um, totally. That's a great yeah. article, Tom. Great article. So, and I loved it when you sent it to me. I was just really in love with the well, article. Friend, you didn't, yeah, you didn't love it enough. And no. now, I, now I can share <laughs> the article I really loved, and I had to you have it work with this. Episode 103. <laughs> yeah. There you go. So, yeah, what did you bring this week? So I have a, a very long article, and I was trying to pare it down to make it palatable for the, the podcast, and I really couldn't. So I'm going to start reading. And I would like for you to cut me off when you feel it's like as, um, a, the DJ at my wedding. He's like, "Oh yeah, if the song for like the the mother son dance gets too long, just just give me the look. Just yeah. give me the look. And, uh, <laughs> cut yeah, it off. Just give me the so, look. Okay, I'll, yeah, I can do that. So and I all like, right, Fran, I'm ready. I, <laughs> <laughs> Let's cut it off here. Um, so the name of the article is "Planting Trees Won't Stop Climate Change," and it's by Ted Williams, and it was on Slate.com. And the, what the I, baseball player? No, no, I don't think there's yeah. any. That would be kind of cool if it was. You think of all the trees they chopped for his dad. I'm pretty sure. I think he was cryogenically frozen. And (laughs) wasn't uh, that Walt Disney? I think they both are. Really? Yeah. So this one I like because it kind of it kind of follows up on the conversation that we had on the last buzz about uh, giveaways. Um, So, like I said, I'll I'll try to go through this quickly. But if you find where I'm just being redundant, just Mm -hmm. cut me off. All right. Um, not only are planted trees not the carbon sinks you want, but tree planting frequently ends up doing more harm than good. Humans have long believed that planting trees, any kind of tree, anywhere, is good, something Mother Nature cries out for, something that might even solve our climate crisis. Tree planting initiatives proliferate. The Bond Challenge, Trees for the Future, Trees Forever, the 10 Billion Tree Tsunami, Plant a Billion Trees, 8 Billion Trees, the Trillion Tree Campaign, the One Trillion Trees Initiative, just to mention a few. The passion for planting trees comes partly from the fact in some places they sequester carbon. This has been broadly interpreted to mean that festooning the earth with trees will soon solve the problem of climate change, which is why tree planting programs are so popular with carbon polluters seeking to avoid cleanup costs. Former President Donald Trump, for example, instantly embraced the One Trillion Tree Initiative launched by the World Economic Fund, pledged U.S. participation, and then gushed about about it in a State of the Union address. To protect the environment, days ago I announced that the United States will join the One Trillion Tree Initiative, an ambitious effort to bring together government and the private sector to plant new trees in America and around the world. Planting trees can be beneficial, especially in countries where predatory logging and other land abuse has destroyed soil stability and deprived people of shade, clean water, fish, and fruit. But such initiatives are the exception. Mass plantings are apt to do more harm than good, and it's nearly impossible to distinguish decent projects from the bad ones. First, there's the problem of duplicity, not unusual among tree planting outfitters or outfits. Consider Plant for the Planet, the organization behind the Trillion Tree campaign. In March 2019, the German newspaper Die Zeit uh, revealed that the group's website was rife with untruths. For example, one person reported to have single-handedly planted 682 million trees. The other larger problem is the ecological havoc tree planters can wreak if they're not careful. Few divulge what species they plant. Fewer still commit to planting only native species. Those who do commit are apt to plant monocultures, which are nearly worthless to wildlife and vulnerable to disease and insects and wind. Forests are a complex machine with millions of meshing parts. You can't plant a forest. You can only plant a plantation. 
Trees planted in wrong places, particularly places that are naturally treeless, do more harm than good and trash native ecosystems. Prairies, for example, provide important habitat for all manner of wildlife. But ever since European settlement, Americans have been destroying them with trees. When J. Sterling Morton moved to Nebraska from Michigan in 1854, he decided that Mother Nature had gotten it all wrong. In due course, he called forth a grand army of husband, hus, husbandmen to battle against the timberless prairies. On April 10, 1872, he established the first Arbor Day. 24 hours later, Nebraskan prairies had been degraded by roughly 1 million planted trees. Tree planting, especially on Arbor Day, become a national obsession. In celebration of the 100th anniversary of Arbor Day, the Nebraska-based Arbor Day Foundation was formed. It hasn't deviated far from Morton's mindset. Join and you can receive 10 free Colorado blue spruce seedlings with instructions on how to plant them. This would be fine if you live in the central or southern Rockies, but everywhere else, these trees are aliens. Illustrating the extent of our current tree planting craze is the most recent marketing of biodegradable coffee cups impregnated with tree seeds. Not only do they encourage littering, but they guarantee that the wrong trees will be planted <laughs> in the wrong place. But such slapdash planting is an American tradition. In 1876, possibly inspired by Arbor Day, a man named Elwood Cooper sought to improve his 2,000-acre, mostly treeless ranch near Santa Barbara, California, with 50,000 eucalyptus seedlings. See, they are native somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> they shot up 40 feet in just three years, an unheard-of growth rate for which they became known as miracle trees. Eucalyptus trees are not native to California. Shortly thereafter, the University of California and the State Department of Forestry distributed free eucalyptus for everyone to plant prairies, chaparral, and cut over forest land were jammed full of these aliens. 100 years later, after the first Arbor Day, 271,800 acres of eucalyptus have been planted in the U.S., 197,700 of them in California. When I inserted my arm into a eucalyptus leaf and bark litter in Bolinas, California, I couldn't touch the bottom. That's because the microbes and insects they eat it are in Australia, not California. Native plant communities can't survive in these plantations because they kill their competition with their own herbicide, creating what botanists call eucalyptus desolation. Eucs uh, evolved with fire and prosper from it. Their tops don't just burn. They explode. Living near them is like living beside a gasoline refinery staffed by chain smokers. <laughs> wow. uh, but they still remain popular in California. They're still being planted and agencies seeking to protect the public and recover native ecosystems by raising eucalyptus inevitably face the fury of eucalyptus lovers who have, for example, accused them of being plant Nazis. According to a mantra heard for more than three decades, trees are good even if they disrupt native ecosystems because they can serve as carbon sinks. In 1988 – the 113-year-old American Forestry Association, now American Forest, initiated its global relief campaign under the shibboleth, plant a tree, cool the globe. Too bad it's not that simple. A study led by Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory uh, concludes that any carbon sequestration benefit from trees planted much north of Florida is more than, more than offset because solar heat absorbed and retained by the trees makes the climate warmer. The notion that any significant percent of the carbon humanity spews can be sucked up and planted by a tree is a pipe dream, but it got rocket boosters in July when Zurich's Crowther Lab published a paper in Science proclaiming that planting a trillion trees could store 25% of the current atmospheric carbon pool. That assertion is ridiculous because planting a trillion trees, one-third of all trees currently on Earth, is impossible. Even a start would require the destruction of grasslands, prairies, rangelands, and savannas that reflect rather than absorb solar heat. And that with current climate conditions are better carbon sinks and natural forests, let alone. I'm just looking to see how much more. I was going to say, you're about lot. halfway through. Yeah. You want to cut me? I, I think 
I think we we got it. If you want to read the whole thing, we're going to be posting this on Facebook. No, it's, you know, and there's a lot of other great, uh, you know, I I felt that there's a lot of great examples, a lot of different examples of how maybe necessarily a tree planting isn't always the best. And that's what Dr. Dr. Estes, yeah, it, it, you yep. know, it's been telling us with the Southeast Grassland uh, mm-hmm. Initiative. It, it's it's right, right tree, right plant, right place. We say that all the time, all the time. And I just feel that if you're going to get behind something, you know, kind of like a no-mo, uh, a no-mo yeah. April, mm-hmm. you know, really know what it's doing. What's the science behind it? It's it it's a feel good, a feel good thing. Like, hey, I was part of planting all these trees, mm-hmm. but. We, we talked about it ourselves. Is yeah. it the right trees at the right place? Is it going where it should go? Is it creating more harm than mm-hmm. good? So I just felt that. Um, yeah. And the, yeah. what's interesting is we brought this up. Was it an ep- one buzz ago or two buzzes ago? I think it was only one buzz ago. And we were ago, talking about um, just this and how, especially what you mentioned in the beginning, how you have these these tree planting companies and the one guy planted 682 million trees. And uh I was just thinking, it, <laughs> I, I bet you they use the same math as if I was walking around and spilled a, a pound bag of, of Junkus of Fuchsia seed and said, oh, I just planted 40 million Junkus <laughs> yeah. plants. That's kind of, and that's what we said a lot of these companies do. They're just they're throwing seeds all over the place. And But there's a lot of great, you know, and I'm, I'm glad he decided not to come on our podcast, but I guess, um, uh, who is it, uh, uh, India's environmental public interest groups. Mm-hmm. He was his organization was going to do tree plantings in India, and they mm-hmm. spoke out and said, "No, what you want to do is bad yeah. for our environment. You're not doing the right thing." So yeah. I, I guess they were they were litigating, <laughs> you know, yeah, against it. So I, I just thought that there's there's a lot of great examples in this, and it's it's mm-hmm. a, worth a a good read just to see. Like it makes you think. Like, are we really doing the right thing? Mm-hmm. Know the area. You know, I, I can't remember which. I, which of our listeners had asked about native flora in a certain area? Do your research. Like, mm-hmm. what's native to that area? I know I'm guilty. I just planted three oak leaf hydrangeas in my yard, and they're not technically mm-hmm. native to here, even though they survive here. We're all native, but at least, I, you know, I, I guess it's not much better than planting in Colorado spruce here when it's not. Yeah, it's and, um. You know, you make those decisions, and you're like, hopefully, this is better than planting an exotic or an invasive. Yeah, it's. There's just so it's so easy. Oh, my brother and I just had a conversation the other day, and um, and we're doing a, a habitat pr- project on our farm. And I haven't I talked to him a little bit about this, but uh, he's not he's going to hear some of what I have to say when I think about it now too. He's a friend who's who's actually making um, what are those things called? They're the that all all the kids are going crazy for them, where it's like you get your own little your private image, like that you buy. Uh, yeah, what's that called? Do you remember what it's called? I can't. Remember. I'm blanking. Uh, I don't now. remember what it's um, called. It's not a meme. It's not a gif. Those are those are very old. Uh, I'll, it'll come to me. But he's making those and selling those. And I guess one of the ideas my brother had for him is, oh, if you for everyone who buys one, we'll plant a tree. And he's like, I'll be the one planting the trees at our farm. And I'm like, but they're all they're trees. We're just gonna I'm gonna cut down in, in like 20 years. <laughs> yeah. If we want to maintain that quail habitat, I'm gonna have to cut them all down. So we're, yeah, we're planting trees, but then we're cutting down trees and. Because that's not necessarily what we want there and what the wildlife wants there and what the ecosystem should be. We have a, a, a like young forest, um, and it really shouldn't be a young forest. It should be back a few stages in that succession plan. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, that's kind of 
it's like how I think about a lot of this and what what Dr. Estes said and what Kyle Leibarger from TikTok says. And it's, yeah, you you can't just go plant trees because you think it's helping. It's kind of, it's really the same thing. Okay, yeah. I'm not mowing it. Oh, I'm helping. And it's, it's maybe it's not actually <laughs> helping in some cases. I think okay. probably not mowing is more helpful than, than planting trees yeah. where there shouldn't be trees, though. Listen, we, and this is another thing we've always talked about. Everything is a series of choices. You try to make the best choices. And, and sometimes there are different levels of, hey, I'm doing really great. Mm-hmm. I'm doing okay. I'm doing bad. Like, I'm yeah. not making it worse. Yep. You know, try to, you, you, I know you're going to make the decision that's best for you. Hopefully, you take some of these other factors under consideration and you make one that's mm-hmm. that's best for everyone. But yeah. I'm not going to hold it against you if you. Yeah. Can. Now, and I know there's there's uproar. Uh, I don't know what the resolution is, but not too long ago in Tennessee, they had something where they did a tree planting like this in a wildlife area, and they're finding, oh, this was a mistake. We shouldn't have done. It was just basically it ended up being a pine plantation because it was a monoculture and it was just all straight rows. And they're saying, hey, it really should be a a kind of prairie or a grassland, kind of like a shrubland. We want to cut a lot of these trees down. And they were going to bring in a logging company to do that. And then they were going to restore it into that. And there was uproar, especially from the hunting community, who were saying, oh, this is terrible. You're going to destroy the ecosystem just so you can make some money and all this and that. The money was going to go back into the (laughs) – it wasn't going to the state or someone's going to take it. It was going back into that wildlife management area. And – but I've, the number of people I've heard, especially in the southeast, who said, oh, yeah, I was I was hunting on my, like my neighbor's farm or my farm or, or something like that, and uh, they weren't the landowner. But, and then someone else would come in and log it, and I was like, oh, no, the hunting's ruined. And then I hunted there and realized how much better it got because they want to be in those – the wildlife needs that diversity. They can't just have a monoculture um, of, of species, even if it's – a handful of species like our, our forest at the back of our farm is uh sweet gum, red maples, hickories, not a lot else. <laughs> those, yeah. So we have, we have three different species and it's great for the things that need those species, but you cut down, we have a thousand or 200 red maples back there. We cut down 20 of them or, or 40 of them and think about all the things that are going to grow there now. Now we're going to get different like five different kinds of viburnums and maybe we'll have persimmons and maybe yeah. we'll have have um American plum and those kind of things coming up and it's going to support all these other things as well. So yeah. that's so yeah. I did want to end with just the final paragraph which cuz oh, I yeah, think yeah, it's yeah. a great way to to sum it up and and the final paragraph is I think the great landscape photographer Ansel Adams put it best when he helped run tree planting boy scouts off the prairie in what's now the Golden Gate National Recreation Area. I cannot I cannot think of a more tasteless undertaking than uh, ugh, I'm ruining his quote. I cannot think of a more tasteless undertaking than to plant a tree in a naturally treeless area and to impose the interpretation of beauty of natural beauty on a great landscape that is charged with beauty and wonder and the excellence of eternity. And uh, the the author finalizes by saying treeless landscapes are not only natural in many cases they're better. So that's it. Yeah, I thought that's good. good. So two great articles, two different takes, um, and it gives you a lot to think about. If you are listening to this podcast and you're going to vote on the Facebook poll, make sure you throw in the after you choose in the comments. Just just write the word vote, and uh, don't don't tell people that haven't listened what that means. So, uh, but you do get to vote because, and of course, the choice is yours. So I have no complaints, um, and we have no questions. But how about listener shoutouts? 
Listener, listener, shout out, shout out. Friend, you right. go first because I have to. I have, I'm looking up something on. Okay, our... sure, no problem. So, uh, mine is uh, one of uh, one of our employee uh, fellow employees and someone who has been on the podcast before. Uh, Noel uh, was at a uh, volunteering at an event in South Jersey at Sadler's Woods. She had her uh, Pinelands nursery coat on, and uh, Janet and Gina at Sadler Woods both pulled her aside and said, "Oh my God, we're big fans. We love the podcast." So it was just nice hearing that from people just out of the blue, randomly, when they saw a, a Pinelands nursery coat. So we want to just say thank you for listening. Thank you for being a part of our audience. Yeah, it's always awesome, especially when coworkers are, get pulled aside. Yeah, I know another one of our coworkers got pulled aside because he was wearing his Pinelands nursery like uh, the fleece, and someone's like, "Oh, I love your guys' podcast." <laughs> so, and it makes its way back to us. We don't always know who it is, but it does make its way back to us when you you see these people. No, but thank you. Yeah, we we appreciate and we appreciate you sharing that. So, yeah, uh, we I, I'm happy that it got back to us. Yeah. So I have a couple this week, and okay. uh, so Kim Carrero and Lorraine Freeney are uh, are both with uh, the Native Plant Side in New Jersey, and they're doing some great work. They just, I think they just started a new uh, partnership between the two of them, where they're helping people, or they were getting plants for i think it was jersey city they have some okay. planners they're going in they appeal to their uh the city or i guess the city and said hey can we use native plants in these so they're like we really want to make it really nice but we want it to be native too so even in a downtown city they're going to be putting native plants in these plants oh, that's it wonderful. should be pretty cool i can't wait to see some pictures as things things grow in that's fantastic um, news i'm also going to shout out the uh the seventh grade class at uh, Rosa International Middle School in Cherry oh, Hill okay. because I gave them a presentation today and I know a bunch of them said they were going to check out the podcast. So this might be the first episode they're listening to. Awesome. I hope so, they get extra credit. Yeah, I, I hope they do too, uh, <laughs> Mr. Galenda. <laughs> they all get extra credit. <laughs> uh, extra credit so, for everyone. And then we got another five-star review uh, from Steve NJ to MN, so meaning Minnesota. And, um, and he was saying that they – have uh, 100 acres in northern Wisconsin and then 10 acres in Minneapolis, and they're doing all they can to, to fill the, the space with natives. And um, and his big thing was, how do I approach my neighbors about this and say, hey, you have a honeysuckle here. Maybe you should think about cutting yeah. that out. And uh, we had an episode. That's what I was trying to look up. Okay. Was, um, I know what Joan Brandwine was one. Joan was a good one. Which we is had, uh, meat, uh, was it plants, native plants in small places? I think so. And then the other one... Uh, it, it was growing the circle. I think we had it was growing the circle, and then another buzz called uncomfortable conversations about how yeah. to. Okay, you have this person that you you don't oh, necessarily want right. to have yeah. a conversation with. That was another one too. So we have some tips there. Um, we have a presentation we give sometimes, so you can always request with your wild ones or native plant society chapter or, or gardening group to have us on for a a talk we can't do them all especially not in the spring no, <laughs> no yeah that's <laughs> <laughs> it's not fun trying to fit all these talks in, in april and may but um so that's another another way to kind of we really talk about hey approaching neighbors growing the circle and being tactful about how you do it because you can just as easily turn them off from native plants as you can turn them on to native plants yeah so you want to you want to Kind of pique their interest and foster their growth rather than completely turn them away. It's yes. not all or yep. nothing. Yep. It's exactly. happy with a little bit. So, yeah, that was you, good. You read a book? I read a, well, I listened to a book. Right. I'm busy at work, so I got this one out of the way. All right. Grow me a book. I like books. All right, let's hear it. Yeah. What did, you, what did so you listen to? I listened to a book I had on my Libby wait list, my hold list for like, I think it was like 26 weeks. 
and it was called This Is Your Mind on Plants, another book by uh, Michael Pollan. It's not really about native plants. It was just really fascinating, some of the things he talked about. All right. Um, he, he made a big, a big portion of the book is all about um, poppies. And, but he had all these examples of people using plants to alter their psyche and basically get high. Um, and, uh, but not, well, I shouldn't say basically get high, but to all really go to another place to comprehend things, even how like Native Americans would do that. So, but the beginning of the book is all about poppies and, uh, basically you can make opium out of poppies. And this was back in the nineties. He was writing for a magazine and had this whole article profiling how this happened and other people that were doing this and, um, how basically how I think it was the DEA was then cracking down on people growing poppies and, uh, he couldn't really get a solid answer on, well, if I grow poppies, is it illegal? Or if I do, I have to make something out of it for it to be illegal. And uh, he just kept getting different answers. And eventually what it came down to is it's illegal to grow poppies if you know you can make opium out of it. So now you are all ruined. <laughs> you can't grow poppies anymore. <laughs> I think with him writing the book, it's uh, because things have gotten a lot more lax in regards to that. But at one time, if you knew you could make opium out of poppies and you were growing poppies, it didn't matter that you were going to do that you could get in, in trouble for it. And there are people who did. Um, I'm, I'm smiling because I have a secret. <laughs> oh I'm wondering if I should share this yeah. secret. And then uh, the next chapter was all about caffeine, mainly coffee and tea because it comes from plants. And uh, I'm not a coffee drinker. Fran, you're like a coffee addict. I am. And I'm using addict because it is a drug and you are it addicted. Is. And I, uh, you dr- you consume just enough to prevent yourself from going back into relapse. So Yeah, I, and, and I withdrawals. drink. I drink, ooh. Like twenty to forty ounces a day. Yeah, that's a lot. You're a hardcore addict yeah. in that case. Yeah, I but know. um, but he had a really cool line in there. I shouldn't say really cool. It might make some of you feel really bad if you are coffee drinkers, unlike me. Um, but just think about the economics of coffee, and I guess the the impact of coffee from an ecological standpoint, even how you're creating these, um, these like coffee and tea orchard type things. Uh, you're then harvesting it, and the people who grow it are getting paid like tiny, tiny little bits amounts of, amounts of money. It's getting bought by all these big corporations, shipped from all over the world, yeah. and then it winds up in a bag in your fridge or on your counter that you use. You put in your coffee pot, let it soak in some water, and then you throw it away. And you just start yeah. thinking about, oh, we're moving all this stuff just so I can get a little bit of realistically a high. Um well, we, I, I know you've heard me have this yeah. rant before, but like people will complain about the price of gas. Yeah. You know, gas, oh, oh it, yeah. it hit $4 a gallon. A, a, a gallon of Starbucks is like $22 a gallon. Yeah. Like, and yeah. that's, if you think about what it takes to produce both of those products, mm-hmm. and at least the gas is, you know, the coffee may power you, but gas is powering a whole yeah. lot of other things. Really, and, and people, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, I stopped at Starbucks. You know, mm. every day, you know, and get their venti, yeah. you know, and they're probably forking out a lot more than what's what it's cost into uh, to run their, oh, yeah. their vehicle. So yeah. it's yeah. But yeah, that was just it's fat, especially as a non-coffee drinker. I like to pick on coffee drinkers all the time. So um, but yeah, it, he actually in the book, he said and this book was actually published fairly recently. I think it was 2021. He said what he did when he did this is he actually went into like a. Uh, withdrawal symptoms. He's having like flu-like symptoms because he wasn't drinking coffee for a while. Um, eventually that subsided. And when he started drinking coffee again, it really spiked them up. And what he found was really effective. And what other people would recommend, other doctors would recommend it is 
drink coffee when you know you have something serious to get done. Like for him, he's a writer. Oh, you have a big paper to get done. You have formulate your idea, drink some coffee, and then you will get it done really fast. Especially when you isolate those little, um, like dopamine hits, I guess. Um, I even heard this is a while ago, but they were saying like beer makes you or alcohol makes you more creative and coffee makes you focus. So you should be drinking alcohol in the morning and then coffee once you have your idea. Or so. is, isn't it PBR that, that has the coffee oh, flavor? They have the, yeah, yeah, you're doing both at once. Do both at once. There so, you go. And then the last, the last chapter was all about uh, mescaline, which is um, – and really goes into peyote and how Native Americans would use peyote. And peyote, I guess, is a native plant to the south, uh, southwest. And, um, and, yeah, they would use peyote to kind of have their visions and, and help guide their – their tribes and make big decisions. That was how they used it to really alter their, like again, alter their psyche so they could see different things. And it was used very spiritually and religiously. Um, not, it wasn't like a, a recreational thing. And, um, but then you have hippies basically. We're going in and like just digging up and growing it and all this other stuff and kind of bastardizing it in a way. And you have, some Native American tribes that are really upset over that because they're like, this is something that's really sacred and special to us, and you were then abusing it, I guess, and then and, and stealing it from Native populations, wild populations. Now there's very, very few wild populations of it actually left. And there's, like, there's literally secret populations where people don't tell other people that they found it there because they don't want someone to find out and then go and dig it up and take it so they can they can use it. So. Wow. Yeah, cool. really interesting book. Awesome. Uh, easy, easy listen. Easy, I'm assuming an easy read, and um, just uh, yeah, I, I don't always agree with the things Michael Pollan writes, but I like this one. There's like other it. ones I'm like, eh, okay, you're getting a little far in the weeds for me, <laughs> me there, but it, it's nice having a little bit of background of, of some of those topics. Definitely, definitely. So, yeah, totally. if you're into gardening books and plant books, that's that's one I'd recommend. Awesome, so. awesome, very cool. So you you have a topic for this week? Yeah, and um, and it was really like we said, we we hit a hundred episodes. We didn't want to make it about us, but I did think we should take a little bit of time and kind of reflect on where we've been and some of the highlights that we had. So I, I drew out a couple, Fran, if you have any others that you think of, feel no, free to add them. I think this is great because you did a good job of picking throughout the whole 100. Mm-hmm. And as we we gain new listeners, yeah, those listens don't always make it that far back. Sometimes, which is good because some of those, we weren't as polished mm-hmm. as we are now. Yeah. You know, yeah. um, but there are some really good conversations that were had early on that helped shape mm-hmm. and get us to where we're at today. Yeah, and and this isn't a knock on anyone else who was on that we spoke no, to. These no, are no, just no. some of the ones that I think we hit certain things that either changed how we were doing things or reinforced how we were doing things, and they were kind of like the milestones in my mind. But the first one was when we had Sam Drogi on because he was yeah. the first person I knew, but I didn't really know. Like I hadn't. I hadn't talked to him for any extended periods of time. So that was the first guest where I really had to send out an email and say, hey, do you want to come? Like, we're this little podcast. Do you want to come on? And I was amazed when he said yes because I'm like, he's actually he's a rock star. really respected person. He's a rock star. And we had an awesome conversation and uh, about how, in part, how dandelions aren't that great for bees. Yeah. So, yeah, no, that was a great conversation, and we were kind of in – like that was – back then, a lot of the guests that we had that we really didn't know, I would get really nervous and mm-hmm. anxious like, oh, I, I don't deserve to be in this conversation with this person. Yeah. You know, and it was just – he was like one of those people yeah. that I felt that way. So episode nine was when we had Benjamin Vogt, who the author of New Garden Ethic, and then – uh, his future book is coming out soon called Prairie Up, and hopefully we can get him back on to promote yeah, that. that would be great. Um, and that was another one. That was like, okay, now 
we got one person on who was uh, maybe a name we didn't think we could get on. Maybe we just shoot a little bit higher. Yeah. And then I was surprised he said yes, too. Yeah, and it, but, it was a great conversation, and, and we got to speak candidly about a mm-hmm. lot of the ideas that, that Benjamin writes about and, and uses on his social media. So yeah. it, was, yeah. it, it was definitely a turning point oh, for yeah. us. So episode 13, we had our first of two parts of our, our uh, Dear Native Plant series with Dr. J. Kelly. Um, and that just gave me so much uh, fuel, I guess for some of these conversations about native plants, especially in regards to deer. And I loved his saying that having too many deer is an animal rights issue because you're taking away the rights of all these other animals and plants that could survive if you had a lower deer population. And and that was a a very hard thing for him to say, I think, you know, and it was, but it was very truthful and honest. And that was a very, very raw, uh, Uh, talked yeah I, I'd say. It was. because we approached a lot of things that were hard to talk about and mm-hmm. and but that's how things change is by having some of those conversations so then we had episode 18 with dr enrique sala from uh national, national geographic. geographic um and the senior explorer from national geographic that was the first time like a publicist reached out to us and yes. said hey <laughs> if you guys want to have this we have this guy who's writing a book called the nature of nature are you guys interested in having him on? And I was like, uh, oh, yeah. oh, once I found yeah. out National Geographic, like, yeah, he's been on TV. Cool. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Totally. And then after I read the book, I was even more excited because I'm like, oh, my God, this book is fantastic. It's one of the five books that I I commonly recommend to people. Mm-hmm. If you're interested in nature or ecology, you should read this yeah. book. Uh, 22 was our first buzz episode. And that was really a way to it was originally going to be a short form podcast where we we're going to do like. I think the first one was, hey, here's books you should be reading. Yes. And um, and maybe it was 20 minutes or less. But uh, there, maybe half an I'm hour. I was going to say it's about We tried hour. to keep them short and quickly realized there's so much more we can talk about. It gave us an opportunity to – we were at that point biweekly. It gave us the opportunity to go weekly and have something that was a little bit more unscripted and Fran and I could get – our thoughts and how we comprehended a lot of these episodes out. I, I think like some of the early criticism where we were – taking away from mm-hmm. our guests yeah. by intervening too much with some of the thoughts that we had. Mm-hmm. So we were able to, when we have a guest, really focus on that guest, yep. take some of that idle chit-chat out, and we're able to put it in here in a better format mm-hmm. where we have more things to talk about. Yeah, definitely. We haven't talked about food in quite some time. We Yeah, very – well, I think we have. Not, <laughs> not as, in uh, depth. Yeah, not, not as in depth. depth. So um, then we had episode 28 was when we had – uh, Dr. Doug Tallamy on, and that was like, okay, this is like the rock star in this world. This yeah. is what's the biggest name you can get? It's Dr. Tallamy, and uh, and I shot him an email. I was like, well, what do we have to lose? And he said yes. Yeah, so. and and it was a little intimidating because we entered that one thinking Dr. Tallamy does a lot of talks, and everyone's heard him talk. What can we ask him that no one's heard? And and that episode to me started off with our like our feet on the gas pedal. Like oh, yeah. it was a good, yep. it was a really good episode. Yeah. So then episode 36 was our first uh, rude discussions. And that was the business of the native plants where we kind of wanted to open up and show, and not just what we do here at Pinelands Nursery and some of the things that we go through, but what some other nurseries do as well. So yeah. that was our first rude discussion. And it opened up the idea of having some of these larger panels, um, which we need to have another one. Soon. We, we have so much to cover. And, it's hard to fit them in. And there's uh, and some of our most listened to episodes. Oh, yeah. yep. Totally. A um, little bit longer, more in depth. Uh, after that, we had episode 40 with, with Samuel Thayer about a forager's harvest and totally uh, the idea of permaculture and foraging for native plants. That was 
and that really got philosophical too. Yes. Um, about why we treat food and plants the way we do. Yeah. Uh, that was another one. I, I take lessons from that episode with me almost every day. Um, episode 50 was, uh, was on soil. Another one where I'm like, Oh, we have Ray Archuleta from NRCS is on kiss the ground, which all these people are watching. I wonder if he'd come on. And he did with some of our friends as well. We had, yeah. uh, with, we had, um, not Karen Walzer. What's her name? Stephanie Murphy, Dr. Yes. Stephanie Murphy. And then, uh, Jennifer. Oh uh, yeah, that's right. From, um, uh, from nutrition for nutrition life. for longevity. Jennifer longevity Maynard. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and that was a really cool episode. A lot of people liked that episode. I agree. Uh, moving along, we had episode 68 with Sam from Mount Cuba Center. And that was really enlightening. about the trial gardens. That changed my perception on – it was actually a conversation I had with Sam off air a week or two before that, that I was like, oh, maybe I'm thinking the wrong way about cultivars. And that conversation on air is where it was like, yeah, there's they do have – they do have benefits. Yeah. And we can't over – we can't – You have to We explore. definitely can't – uh, tell little mistruths about cultivars because we don't like them. No, and it, um, and it made me thankful that for the work that they're doing. Yeah. Um, so after that, it was 70 native habitat projects. We had a really, really good yeah. stretch with 70, 72, and 74 yeah. with the native habitat project and Kyle Lieberger. Then uh, 72 with Shannon Trimboli with the Backyard, the Backyard Ecology. Ecology podcast. And then 74 was the Women in, in Ecology episode, round, uh, Rooted Discussion. Three just fantastic back to back to back back yeah. to back to back like that was a really and we saw it in our listens too that was a really good stretch that, that was a spike for so, us yeah um and I yeah I I other also conversations I think about all the time um I refer to them in my head a lot yeah like oh, yeah. I, I really do and it's and and we've formed great relationships mm-hmm. with with some of our guests yeah. because of these I still can't comprehend when I when we ask the question like what's the biggest challenge for women getting into the ecology space and I was expecting like physical obstacles or yeah. or emotional obstacles I wasn't expecting clothes to be yeah. the first result of that <laughs> oh yeah I, it's hard to find women's work clothes yeah and I'm like oh my god I was thinking uh, I didn't even consider something so simple as being such a big hurdle. Totally. So um, then 86 was our second most listened to episode ever, and that's uh, Lawns in the Meadows. And that, really, and that was only like the last episode of 2021, and it's already in yeah. like number two on our that was, And lessons. it's a cool book by Owen Wormser, and that's who we talked to, the author of that book, about kind of what he does and, and why this is important. Um, 92 is another favorite episode from a lot of our listeners, and that was Bees and Trees with uh, Cass Urban Mead. Cass Urban and that Mead. was the first time we had actually spoken with, with oh, yeah. Cass, and that was such a wonderful conversation. Just mm-hmm. uh, it, I felt it – as we were talking to her, I felt I had known her forever. Yeah. <laughs> and it was such a great conversation. She had so much insight for things that we had never thought about, um, and I thought that was great to bring to the audience. Yeah, and then uh, – What's it, episode 98? Not too long ago, we had Joan Brandwine with uh, the Como Habitat uh, project that yeah. she's working on. That was just a really cool conversation as well that I know a lot of people loved. And that's shot up with our, our listens too. Uh, completely, completely. So, and then we just loved that last episode we had with Stan Temple. He's someone we want to bring back on because not only was what he talked about so interesting with Aldo Leopold, He's, he's a freaking cool guy. Yeah, no, he's, <laughs> he's interesting and very modest about oh it God. as well. But like, you know, oh, yeah. being mentored by uh, by Rachel Carson yeah. and uh, you know being hand selected to to uh, take 
take the position that Aldo Leopold once had and, and bringing back an endangered bird species <laughs> back into existence and having it become right. the uh, um, the the bird of the – was it Mauritius? Uh, I can't Island, remember what yeah. islands it was. But I, yeah, I, um, my uncle Bill, Bill Young, who's been on yep. this podcast before too, he even texted me and said, oh, Dr. Stanley Temple Podcast 100 was the best ever, better than Talmy. What a remarkable human being. Taught by Rachel Carson, amazing. Yeah, <laughs> like, no, and, and you know, a I lot guess, of people reached I guess out. Liked it. Uh, Rick McCoy mm-hmm. reached yeah. out and was like, "You've got to be kidding me, really!" Yeah. It, like, it was like, "Yeah," and it's just very modest. Not something yeah. that was on his bio. Not something that just yeah. the amount of knowledge and that's someone that you look at what they have done in their life and you you look at it and say they were meant for mm-hmm. that. Like this, yeah. this was meant to be. Now, speaking of Rick McCoy, I left out. I didn't even think about it. Our most listened to episode ever was gardening with native plants. Rick will and that pre- was Rick. That was um, uh, I'm from the, the, the native plant podcast. Um, uh, Mickey, wait, but then we had Becky Leboy. Beck, yes, and, uh, John, and McGee. John McGee John from McGee. Uh, from the native plant podcast. All on, and that was the by far our most listened to episode. So Rick will be happy to hear if we haven't told him that he's number one in ten. He's been on three episodes, and he's the only one of our guests that has two in the top ten. So number one and number ten. So yeah, so that's, awesome. That's a just, great recap. If you're, it's if you're listening to one hundred one, one hundred one is your first episode you're listening to. Those are ones that we had a blast with. That that uh, maybe the first buzz wasn't really that great of an episode, no. but it was that was kind of like something that that cha- altered the course of of where we are today. And we hope we can get to to two hundred, maybe three hundred, four hundred. 500 is a long time away. That's what yeah. almost eight that's years. years. Yeah, yeah, that's a long time away. So, but we're gonna we're gonna keep this up for hopefully a long time. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. All right, you ready for a take it or leave it? Yeah, let's do it. This was slight slated for episode ninety nine, but you had the great mm-hmm. uh, posed a great question about uh, box chain stores. Yeah. But mine uh, is tilling. Yay or nay? You take it or leave it. I personally, I don't. Um, so yeah, I, I leaf it pretty strongly. I'm sure there's instances where you you have to, um, but overall, in, well, I, you know, when we had speaking of the soils episode one with Ray Archuleta, we said, hey, what do you do with your garden? And he says, oh, I just throw down even my vegetable garden. I throw down wood chips, yeah. and then each year I put down more wood chips on top, and I just plant in the wood chips. Now you're building organic material. You're building. You're basically building soil in a way, and. Um, and you have very few – you're out-competing the weeds because you're smothering them. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, you get some more weeds on top, but it's enough that you can pull. So I did it last year. It was freaking easy. Yeah. It was like I had – okay, I had some weeds to pull, and, and like, I just planned right through it and had great vegetables come up. And um, and I do a little bit of that in my, my garden, too. I'm working on some green mulch, but I use some just uh, – well, the pine bark we use here from the nursery, I use that as my – my mulch yeah um yeah i'm not big on tilling even with with like i love the whole regenerative agriculture movement and using no-till methods and and incorporating uh livestock and animals into that process and i think it it works and it's scalable i don't know how scalable but i i think it's scalable to a point and we can really alter our food system um i know i know we've talked about it before but i'll even point out the the idea of, uh, of like, well, you have the impossible burger and like a lot of these these vegetarian options. Well, they require a lot of soy, and soy is farmed conventionally, and they're using a lot of pesticides and a lot of herbicides, and it's moving a lot of soil, releasing a lot of carbon. Okay, so is that 
outweighing having a cow. Yeah. It's uh yeah, I'm I'm really into the whole regenerative idea and uh and all that. I agree. I I I leaf it. I think it's doing more harm than good. Um I understand it may not be scalable. Uh but if you don't need to till, mm-hmm. you know, there's no reason to to disturb that soil and yeah. and possibly have more weeds, more invasives, uh, other other damage. Mm-hmm. You know, we know invasives like disturb soil. Yeah. Um Here's another one. You're putting in a pollinator meadow, like a 10-acre pollinator meadow. Uh, even a one-acre pollinator meadow, you could till it, or you could use a glyphosate product or some kind of herbicide and kill the top growth, or mow it, kill it with herbicide, and then use a no-till through. Which which one is more harmful for the environment? I I think it's I think it's by far it's tilling, um, but I think I I can't say that scientifically. I don't know. But, you take a glyphosate and then you're killing some of the microbes in the soil. I, I think. But you're, it's only superficial. Yeah. It's only going to be on top, and it's mostly going to be the plants, which are going to be plants you want to get rid of anyway. You're tilling, you're inviting those plants right back in. I think overall you're going to, the studies I've shown, you get a better product sooner by using by using an herbicide yeah. and then instead of, of instead of tilling. Yeah. And it's a lot, it is a lot less work. I think that's the first take it or leave it in a while. Where we were both definitive in our answers yeah. and we agreed. Oh yeah, so yeah. totally. Awesome. Not much gray area there. No, <laughs> there a lot no, less. no. I I figured that would be short and sweet. Yep. So all right. Well, that is it. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed listening to the buzz. Thank you everyone for listening. To Native Plants Healthy Planet presented by Pinelands Nursery. Thank you to R.J. Comer for our buzz theme music. It wouldn't be the buzz without it. Uh, make sure you stream or buy R.J.'s new album on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you consume your music. Follow us on Twitter at Pineland Nursery. Facebook at Pinelands Nursery NJ, Instagram at Pinelands Nursery or Native Plants underscore Healthy Planet, uh, and YouTube at Pineland Nursery. Uh, no questions or comments this this week on the question and comment line, but it's still there for you to use. Call us at 215-346-6189. I will repeat that, 215-346-6189. Ask a question or leave a comment. We're going to play it on a future episode of The Buzz and answer it to the best of our ability. And uh, the Native Plants Healthy Planet Facebook group has been a wonderful place. I've been enjoying everyone's conversations on there, so uh, I'd like to see that continue. Yeah, so you can mm-hmm. buy our, our podcast merch. Um, we have a lot of T-shirts. We have phone cases. We have some other stuff up there. Uh, you can buy that directly at www.nativeplantshealthyplanet.com. There's a link right at the top. It'll take you to our Teespring store. We don't take any of the money. Well, we take it, and then we give it to other people. So um, right now we're getting to a point where we're ready to give another donation here awesome. shortly. So it's in a, a lump sum in our, our PayPal account ready to be directed to the recipient of our choice. Awesome. So I'm excited um, about that. You can listen to Native Plants uh, Healthy Planet podcast also at www.nativeplantshealthyplanet.com. Um, but you're probably going to listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, uh, really wherever you consume your podcasts. When you're there, if you can, you can on Spotify. I found out yesterday because I left a, a five-star review for a new podcast, uh, oh. the Native Habitat podcast with Kyle Highbarger. Oh, awesome. So I, I left a five-star review. You can't write anything, but I left ah. a five-star review. Ah, so, nice. uh, yeah, if you're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, really wherever you can leave a review, please re- re- leave a review. And if you write something, then I'll give you a shout-out right here on our episode until I get overwhelmed. It has not happened yet. We got <laughs> not, close one we, time. we did get close. We but, did get um, close. And we're still waiting for our other Yeti recipient to contact yeah, us, right? So, uh, yeah, the Paradox uh, Chris, 27. Yeah, Christine St. George did contact us, and hers is out, and hopefully it's in her hands. But Paradox 27, uh, not yet. So please yeah. please let us know. And actually, I see it's your turn for a secret. No, I, because last time you just updated on what 
uh, episode 100 would be. Yeah. So, but you do have a, you're, you said you had a secret. You don't have to share it. I've had opium before. Okay. <laughs> it's, was it from a poppy? No. <laughs> you know, it was not, not. Is it, are we past the, the statute of limitations? Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. What is the statute of How many years? I have no, I, I have no it, idea. This is going friend. back. Do you think I'm looking up the statute of limitations is, on opium use? It's, I, it's going back over 30 years. Okay. So, okay. no, I had a friend who was overseas mm-hmm. and brought back this, I guess it's a popular alcohol in the Middle East. Mm-hmm. And there's also an under the counter version of it that's laced with opium. Yeah. And he had brought it back with him, and we. Yeah. I didn't know that when he gave it to me. Yeah. Okay. You know, yeah. So that's, that's <laughs> Fran used to be a little bit of a wild child <laughs> in his younger days. It was like opium. All right. No, it was just like we we had had a couple shots, and then it was like, oh, by the way, this is you know black label. And I'm like, yeah. What does that mean? He's like, oh, under the counter. I'm like, well, what does that mean? And then it came out. Oh yeah, this is laced with opium. I was like, oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. And yeah. Fran takes a swig of that bottle right before every episode. <laughs> so with that, thank you, everyone. I'm Tom. I'm, I am Fran. Thank you again, everyone. Uh, coming up next, we have a great episode with another author uh, about the book called Insect Crisis. So we're looking forward to that one. And uh, until then, uh, keep it native. Thank you for listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planted Podcast presented by Pinelands Nursery. Remember to like, share, follow, and comment.